Before we begin, dear listeners, a slight taciturn admonition. Tonight's episode is not for the faint of heart, even amongst our most enthusiastic of listeners. There will be elements of grotesquerie, body horror, and violence. Characters will endure and conduct unethical medical experimentation, often through the use of coercion. There will be unpleasant descriptions, and occasionally unpleasant sounds. Listen of your own volition, and remember this. You were warned. And now, without further ado, let us begin. when you started to plan your escape, right? What do you mean? Let me see. You already knew this doctor is experimenting on humans. Your fiancé has gone missing, and your shoes have turned up in his closet. And now you found out that he's slowly turning into some kind of bug monster because of the work that he and you are doing. So now's when you realise that you need to get out, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't he? Is it? I, I couldn't abandon the work. So what did you do? I wanted to confront the doctor, to tell him what I knew, and demand that he let me help him. So that you could turn into some kind of bug monster too? So we could share the burden, and by sharing it, double the time we had. But you didn't. I couldn't. Not until I was sure I understood everything which meant that I had to read the rest of his notes. The time I was forced to wait was agonizing. I did not want to wish ill health on the doctor. All the same, I found myself hoping he'd have an episode such that he would be forced to rest, such that I would be free to study the remainder of the notes undetected. Finally, a week later, the opportunity arose. The notes were where they had been before. I quickly flipped the page where I had been forced to leave off and began to read. January 1. FK is displaying worrying curiosity. MK has suggested removing him from the research, but he is far too valuable an asset to waste. Have begun pursuit of a new line of inquiry regarding transition of cost, specifically regarding success with numeric subjects rather than alphabetic ones. In relation differences between the two types, begins to test these theories with subject 6. Following first rounds of tests, sedatives no longer necessary. Cost to researcher continue to manifest, though at a slowed rate. Skin on both natal hands and acquired appendages beginning to harden and attain a carapace-like texture. January 10. Subject 10 acquired. Introduced to study protocol. FK continues to question. Decisions will need to be made. MK continues his prior recommendation, now supported by AV. 
testing with subject six showed impressive degrees of success. Subject seven and eight, subject seven and eight, deceased. COD, multiple organ failure. January 11. External disposal of deceased subjects has become difficult. AV provided workmen to dig disposal shaft adjacent to patient storage and procured sufficient quantities of quicklime. January 13. I'm increasingly concerned by FK's curiosity. Have relocated subject storage to substructure and equipped a patient living space above access hatch. Continuing line of inquiry regarding differences between human subjects and animal. Testing focused on the cholecyst seems most productive. Focusing intensive testing on this with subject six. I have slight concern my bias against this subject will affect results. But since at this time it is the most successful, that does not seem to be occurring. Cost to researcher again slowed. However, acquired appendages seem to be increasing in flexibility and number of joints. February 6th. The gallbladder is the key. February 10. Near complete transmission of cost has been achieved. February 12. FK interrupted while working with subject 10. 10 had vocalized and was heard by FK. Had to create narrative on the spot, but it was accepted. Was able to perform rudimentary glossectomy to prevent subject 10 from further verbalization. After explanation, FK is only aware of subject 10, but is willing to work with it alongside me. Have relocated subject 10 to patient living space, as opposed to subject storage. Research with subject 6 temporarily paused and transitioned to subject 10 only. February 21. It is the gallbladder. I am so close. February 28. Subject 9 acquired with help of FK. Inducted into study protocol and housed in patient quarters with subject 10. Subject 6 again under sedation. March 2. It is as though the closer I come, the more heavy the toll is for failure. The ritual cost has begun to leave researcher drained. Skin of torso has begun to shift to carapace. Breathing becomes difficult. Hypothesize the change has begun to occur to the lungs. March 15. I am so close. I can feel it. But my time is running short. I will succeed. March 19. Perfect transition of cost from researcher to subject 6 achieved. I have done it. Subject 6 has undergone near full metamorphosis. Researchers' changes have stopped, and some appear to be reversing. All that is left is replication. Once I had begun to read, it was as if I could not put the book down. Even as the meaning of the words became more and more clear, it was as though I was compelled to finish. I needed to know, if only to know the true extent of the lie I had believed. I began to- Hang on, hang on. What the hell are you talking about? Hold up a minute and explain things to me. Use plain words. 
subjects, all of them, for months since we had come to the warehouse, and perhaps even before, had been human. They had all been human. And they had all died. Son of a bitch. Indeed. You have to understand, Detective, this was not the work I set out to do. I was put on this earth to heal, and while, yes, some healing must first cause harm, this was... This was so far in excess. This was not harming in the name of furthering understanding, hurting in the process of learning and removing the root cause of disease. This was... We were... We were brokering disease, trading the unwellness of one person to another. There were no recoveries. No one got better. The net suffering of the world remained exactly the same. This is when you heard change of heart. To my shame, it is not. I... In the moment, I thought that there could still be a chance. That what I thought I understood might simply be my own lack of knowledge. That perhaps what I had read had another meaning. One I would comprehend with further study. You were in too deep to change your mind. Yes. I considered approaching the doctor and asking him to explain- You've got to be kidding. You still thought you could trust him? He flat out admitted he'd been lying to you the whole time. Yes, but... That was a slim hope, detective, but it was all I had. Go on. I was nearly at his door when something I had read worked its way to the forefront of my mind. The notes had spoken of subject storage, a phrase which took on an entirely new meaning with the knowledge I had now of precisely what, of who, those subjects were. I decided... I decided I must see for myself. That explanations, if they existed, could come later, but I must know, must perceive with my own senses the exact nature of the doctor's work. So I went past his door, and instead into his laboratory. The patient's room was quiet. Mr. Miller, like Miss Vincent, had lost his ability to speak, though in his case it was after the transfer of the cancer of the esophagus. He gave me a familiar, tired smile as I entered. Miss Vincent was asleep, her usual state now that high doses of morphine were required to maintain her comfort. I wasn't entirely sure what I was looking for, or if I hoped I would or would not find it, but the doctor's notes had referenced an access hatch to a basement I did not know the warehouse had, so I got to my knees and began a detailed study of the floor. Hmm. 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 Ah. It was not difficult to find. Had I had eyes for anything beyond the work, I would have seen it sooner. But my focus had been so intense I had not looked past the figures in the bed. I got to my feet and stood for a moment, trying to decide how best to get it open. It was then I realized Miss Vincent's eyes were open and focused on me with remarkable clarity. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you. Oh yes, the bed will need to be moved. I'm going to shift your bed now. I will be as careful as I can be. 
Are you all right? I don't... Please, be careful. Don't hurt yourself. Please. Please. Are you... Is there... Are you trying to talk... To communicate with me? It had never occurred to me that the patients might have knowledge about the doctor. I was so accustomed to their being without speech, I'd simply never considered to ask them anything. Nor had they ever offered. Until today. At first... I didn't understand why. You were on your own. Precisely. This was my first time alone with the patients since I had been brought into this portion of the work. You do have something to... That is, yes? I... All right? How... That is... What is it that you... That is... I'm sorry, I don't... Your foot. Are you pointing with it? Where? I followed the gesture to the foot of her bed, running a hand between the mattress and frame. What on earth? Ow. It was an earring, a cluster of diamonds centered with a sapphire. I knew that earring. Lorraine. It, it can't be. Thank you, Miss Vincent. I'm sure this is... I'm going to move your bed now. I will try to cause you as little discomfort as possible. The hatch opened onto a surprisingly sturdy staircase, leading downward and into darkness. I hesitated for a long moment, casting my mind around for another, any other choice that could be made. But there was none. And so I took a breath and started down. stairs went on a long way, much further than I had expected, deep enough that the light coming through the hatch did little to illuminate it. Just as I decided to return to the warehouse to fetch a lantern, my right foot struck jarringly against level ground. Chippy, chippy, Christmas! <sighs> Keeping one hand carefully against the wall, I stumbled through the darkness. Lights! Where's the... Oh, there should be a switch. The air was still, cold, and completely dry. No trace of the damp one would expect from a basement in this part of the city. The air smelled strongly of bleach and disinfectant, and underneath it all, the terrible scent of putrefaction. For a moment, I found myself back in the hospital tent near the trenches, dead and dying soldiers all around me. Still, I forced myself forward. I took a few more steps, still letting the wall guide me, Suddenly, my questing hand had brushed against something cold and metallic, and then buried itself in what felt like rough fur or hair, coated with a damp, sticky substance. I couldn't help myself. I turned and fled in blind terror. Oh, 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 Running sightless through an unknown space is exceedingly unwise. I am lucky the fall did no worse than knock the wind from my lungs and scrape my palms raw. I froze, suddenly aware of the noise I had made, worried that the doctor had heard. I reached around me, trying to find the object which I had tripped over, and for once, circumstances turned in my favour. By touch, I was able to identify a large, ever-ready electric lantern. Without thinking, I turned it on. 
pages, each perhaps 120 centimeters, four feet, square, stacked two deep and three wide against the wall of the basement, their bars and floor the dull silver of steel, all scrubbed spotlessly clean. At first, I thought they were empty. Then I moved closer. What is... I... Oh, God. One cage was, in fact, occupied. The creature that filled it was... <laughs> you... You saw. You saw, didn't you, Detective? I... I saw. I... I couldn't stay there. I should have... I should have looked closer. Done something. I should have realized... But I couldn't. I dropped the flashlight, and I ran. And the last thing I saw before I was through the hatch and slamming it closed was the creature's blue eyes, glinting through its unkempt mass of yellow hair. Teddy. And then the cops got the tip off and swarmed the place. And... I already know the rest. So, that's it then. Your whole confession. Got to say, it wasn't the story I was expecting out of you. You seem more like the calculator. No, not, not quite. What? That is not quite everything that happened before the police came. What's left? I, uh, I came up the stairs and saw the two patients in their beds. Saw the, the pitiful, distorted shapes of their bodies. Saw what he, what we had done to them. And I, I couldn't. I, uh, we kept so much morphine in the clinic to keep them comfortable. Without pain, it was... It was easy. It's easy. It was very easy to administer it. First to Miss Vincent, then Mr. Miller. They knew what I was doing. They wanted me to... I could... Their eyes. You murdered them. I... It was not murder, Detective. Seems like murder to me. There's a lot I don't know, but one I do. Doctors have an oath. Do no harm. Murder or not, killing's harm. It had to be done. They were suffering, Detective. Every second was... It was... And he would have continued to make them suffer. To suffer every day until their bodies gave out, be it a month or a year. So yes, I killed them. It was the only ethical choice. It was... It was the only ethical choice left. And when it was... When they were still, there was so much morphine left. I... 
I considered ending my life. It seemed fair that my time on Earth should stop as theirs had. I filled the syringe and... I intended to do it. I truly did. In the end, I was too much of a coward. Instead, I made my way down the hall toward the doctor's rooms. I could hear him inside, his breathing the slow, steady rhythm of sleep. I opened the door carefully and crossed the room as silently as I was able. I stood there, with the needle in my hand, ready to administer the fatal injection, but... <sighs> Judgment was not mine to give. He should. He will be judged. In this life or thereafter. But my hand is not the one which will carry out the sentence. I dropped the morphine and ran out of the clinic, through the alleys, and into the street, where I found a payphone and notified the police that... that... that I knew the location of Florine Stanley. That, detective, is all of it. You believe me now, detective, don't you? About the doctor? About his work? You know what happened when the police searched the warehouse? What they found? No. I was at my parents' home when it happened. I couldn't go back. I thought so. That's where the boys picked you up. Well, they didn't find the doctor. And they didn't find two dead people. What? There were two of them upstairs, in beds, like you said, all messed up. Down in the basement, though, Someone had dug a shaft straight down, just right down into the dirt under the foundation. And in it, didn't they get a final count how many? The boys that hauled them out couldn't tell. They were kind of mixed up, missing arms, legs, or with extra bits stuck on. But they're saying at least six, probably more. Bodies. I tossed in like they were trash, covered in lime so they didn't smell. Subjects one through nine. And what about Lorraine? Reese went in first. Shouldn't have let him, him being green, first year on the job. But how are they supposed to know what he'll be walking into? What happened to her? Kid took one look and pulled the trigger. Wasn't enough time to get her to the hospital. I see. I think... I think perhaps that was for the best. I... told her parents we had to cremate her. Police reasons. I didn't need to see that. Thank you. So, you've heard my story, Detective. 
Do you still believe me to be insane? You really thought you were doing the right thing, didn't you? Yes, I did. How? You keep talking about how you want to help people. How you're here to heal the goddamn world. How does that fit in with the rest of it? The doctor was very... No. What you did. Maybe he did worse. But you did some. The people upstairs, you knew their names. How's that fit? It is... I suppose it's different, Detective. They were people. Bodies. Human, of course, but singular. Harming a person is not the same as harming humanity. And that is, and has always been, my call. To help and heal humanity. The great wealth of people that live on this earth. Against that, the pain of a single individual is a small price. Had this research... Had it been truly what it claimed to be, had I been able to use it in the manner the doctor said I could, that would have been worth the cost exacted. Can't say I agree, Mr. Kent. Not at all. Maybe that's why you're a doctor and I'm just a copper. I am not a doctor. What happens now? Now, I tell the lieutenant this case isn't closed. We've got another suspect to find. we got to find him before he starts all this up again. Thank you. I... I had allowed myself to hope you were the kind of man who would hear the truth in my confession. Aye, well, you're still on the hook, Mr. Kent, because of what you did to the two upstairs. That's still murder, any way you slice it. We're going to find this doctor of yours, and when we do, you're going to testify against him. Of course. In the meantime, you're going back to jail. No, he's not. Who the hell are you? You don't need to know that. Stand up, Mr. Kent. You're coming with us. What? Where are you taking me? Like hell, I don't need to know. Let go of my prisoner. And tell me what the goddamn authority you've got- Federal. Authority. The Bureau. Fitz. This man is being taken into our custody. Paperwork's already been signed. Let me see that. Of material interest to the nation. What? I'm... No, wait, I can't. He possesses valuable knowledge, which he will now have the opportunity to put to use for his president and country. No. You're telling me the president wants him to make more of the same kind of goddamn monsters the Stanley last got turned into? No, please. We don't make monsters, detective. We deal with them. We'll be leaving now. The investigation ends here, with the suspect's full confession. Any additional details are simply the ravings of a bad man and can be dismissed entirely. If I were you, I'd forget I'd ever heard the name Frederick Kent. It'll lead to a longer life. 
You cannot let them do this. You can't, detective, detective. Wrong, pal. This is my investigation, and it ends when I say it ends. You've been listening to a most vital art, a Blake Sky Private Eye radio play. This dramatization was written by Lee Seguente and edited by Eric Seguente, based on the work of S.J. Riker. A Most Vital Art stars Jeremy Borders as Frederick Kent, Scott Paladin as Eugene Clifford, and Vic Collins as Dr. Albert von Leichenberg. It features Jasper Locke as Alastair Vincent, Jenna Rose as Lorraine Stanley, Madeline Hamley as Mrs. Edith Bratz, Rebecca Krauss as Gloria Franklin, Ness Rocker as Agent Alexander Barker, and a Salty Rat as Maximilian Coleman. Mr. Chester Legree appears courtesy of Gilpin Brothers Talent Management and WNRR. This program is presented by Law of Names Media, wherever fine audio entertainment can be found, and sponsored by the Varney Soap Company. There's clean, and then there's Varney clean. This is your host, Kill Brown speaking. And now, it's time for the toe-tapping tunes of the Gilman Glue Music Hour. (laughs) 